0: I see so many people who will make their choices very explicit in dating, where they're like, I don't want femmes, I don't want fats, I don't want black, I don't want white. And that's all rooted in the learning that we've had when we've been growing up, combined with a lot of our own shame from being who we are, because being gay for a large part of our lives was
1: not Okay. Hi there, and welcome to Gay Men's Life Lab, the podcast that's all about personal growth for gay men. My name is Buck Dodson, and I'm a licensed therapist and board-certified life coach who's committed to helping you thrive. Each week, we go all in on what it takes to live a full and healthy life with loving relationships, engaging work, a sense of purpose, and all the joy you deserve. And of course, we do all of this with our unique perspectives and experiences as gay men. So before we get into today's episode, If you want to learn more about me and the topics I discuss on this podcast, please visit buckdodson.com. And with that, thanks for tuning in and let's get started. All right. So welcome, everybody, to another episode of Gay Men's Life Lab. I am really excited to be here with Ken Reed, who is here uh, with us from Sydney, Australia. So welcome, Ken.
0: Thank you very much, Buck. I'm very excited
1: to be here. I am too. I'm really excited to talk to you. And so I'm going to give listeners a a little bit of info about who you are and where they can find you and then we will dive into what you're here to talk to us about which is your work with gay men on dating and relationships. So Ken is a relationship coach for gay men, like I said he's based in Sydney, Australia. And he has an interesting story. He came about this career by complete accident, you know, after being suddenly broken up with with a man who he was very much in love with, he was left devastated. And he decided to work on himself, his self-esteem, his communication, to recognize And what he recognizes. The only thing stopping a man from having the love that he wants with a loyal, committed partner are his thoughts and behavior. So he, Ken is trained as a counselor and now uses his extensive personal dating and relationship experience along with his counseling uh, training to help clients to heal and get the love they deserve. And you can find Ken at kenreidrelationshipcoach.com. And that's r e i d and of course all this will be in the show notes guys and you can also when you go to his website you can download his dating cheat sheet uh which i might need to download myself you can also find him on instagram at (laughs) ken.reid underscore relationship coach and also ken has a private facebook group called the gay dating academy which we may talk a little bit about today because i don't know anything about that so um welcome ken i'm so glad to have you here Thank you very much, Buck.
0: That was a very good
1: introduction. I always find it funny when
0: people, I get asked or people read out my summary of how I got in here because I'm like, oh yeah, that's me. That's how I got here. (laughs) And that's probably chapter one of my journey of many more chapters. So yeah, thank you very much for that great reminder of where I've been. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, I love that. It's a really interesting story. And I, I, you know, so often, you know, people don't share that personal part of their story. And I think so often that the going into, especially work around relationships, it's our personal stories that are so compelling and really do draw us into that or push us into that. So I think I love that. I love knowing your story and, you know, maybe we'll hear a little bit more of it. So you, so, never, know. Well, you never know. Right. So obviously dating in the gay community you know I've worked with gay men for over 15 years now and dating is always top of mind it's a priority relationships too of course but you know we've got a date to get into relationships so you really are you know immersed in this every day with the men that you work with and in your clients so what do you see as like the biggest hurdle that gay men face when it comes to dating because that's oftentimes what the question I'm getting
0: yeah yeah I think there's definitely not just one hurdle. I think there's a lot of overlap of challenges. For example, I think that on one hand, we don't have role models within our community who can effectively represent what a relationship between two men sh- you know, could be like mm-hmm. in a healthy dynamic. We've grown up in a very heterosexual environment And I think we try and copy what we've been taught by our parents. Hmm. And for better or for worse, it doesn't really work very well for our particular community. And it's not to say that all, you know, know, that our relationships are completely different from heterosexual ones. There are some fundamental things that are universal. For example, working on our self-worth, working on our self-esteem. And one of the biggest challenges for our community is shame. Mm. So that comes in... Very many forms. One of the biggest, which is unique to our community is being closeted mm-hmm. and that manifests itself in ways, not just beyond the comfortability of our gender. It can also manifest itself in, you know, how we choose to appear, you know, the way in which we work out our addiction, oh, sure. because in many ways, our, you know, even things like substance abuse, going out to the clubs, going out to all these parties, doing all these excessive things is an extreme act of avoiding who we are within us and actually mm. not wanting to sit with the uncomfortable emotions that we have where we have a voice telling us we're not good enough we're not yes. worthy we're not you know allowed to be part of this broader community because in some ways it's not okay consciously we may not think that but subconsciously there's a narrative running around back there So how does this apply to dating? Well, it actually impacts our choices. You know, I see so many people who predominantly will make their choices very explicit in dating where they're like, I don't want femmes. I don't want fats. I don't want Mm. theirs. I don't want otters, I don't want black. I don't want white. I don't want this and that and the other. And that's all rooted in the learning that we've had when we've been growing up Mm. combined with a lot of our own shame from being who we are because being gay for a large part of our lives was not okay. Right. We didn't reconcile that. So I think that a lot of us are bumping around with tons of bruises and, and hurting hearts and we're just hurting one another without actually taking the time to sit with each other or by ourselves to really take the time to actually just let go of these old, un you know, these not useful learnings and just accept who we are so to really answer the question, what's the biggest hurdle to dating ourselves and learning to be okay with ourselves and to love ourselves?
1: Yeah, that really like nailed it right there. That learning to love, like be okay with ourselves and learning to love ourselves is you know, the first hurdle to overcome with dating. Yeah, that's really powerful. You kind of right went right there and... So, so which is Shutter the hot, <laughs> right? Yeah, right to that shame place. And when you, as you were describing, like bumping up against each other and and of hurting each other, I was thinking of us just being out there on the dating scene and and um, kind of bumping up against each other with our wounds and our hurts that you know, of course, we want to feel better about, but maybe we haven't, and we're we're um, thinking maybe. Dating will, you know, help with that or relationships will help with that. But you're saying we need to really sort of be able to sit with ourselves first.
0: Yeah. And as a therapist, you would know, Buck, like that journey of going through and working on our inner critic, our ego, you know, self-love. And for a large part of your audience, maybe these words mean something different to them. Maybe it could be part of the marketing jargon that's been thrown out there by a lot of people too, because when we hear words like gratitude, mindfulness, self-love, self-help, all that sort of stuff, it's not really taking into account the deep processes that help us to love ourselves. Mm. Those kind of processes are very, very individual. And I think that for a lot of people, they aren't actually learning. They'll go. One of the biggest challenges that I often see people make is they say, Oh, I went to a therapist once and I fixed myself. It's like you fixed Mm. yourself Mm.
1: full stop, not comma. (laughs) Yeah. You fixed yourself. Yeah, which implies, first of all, that you were broken before, but that, like, somehow you, like, it's over. It's done. Like, I figured exactly. it out.
0: <laughs> that's like saying that you,
1: you know, you updated your phone. No more updates required. Right, which we know that's not the case. <laughs> As I've been putting off my iPhone update for the last month, but that's a different that's a different episode. Um, so, yeah, so this idea of one of the, just the big hurdles right out of the gate that, you see um us facing is is that unprocessed unaddressed shame um once you like with when you have clients who start dating and at this point about your role model like not having role models is so important so i do want to ask about that too but when you see you know men that you're working with and they're coming to you and they're saying oh you know i've i want to date i want to get into a relationship and you see that like they're not necessarily focused are they almost not aware sometimes that maybe unprocessed gay shame or some hurt from their past is still really affecting them and their choice of dating partners
0: no in many cases the answer is no Mm -hmm. and i'm going to explain this because it's a complicated no so on one hand you'll have some guys who are self-aware they in fact i would say all of my clients have a degree of self-awareness which i am very grateful for because i'm very mindful of you know who i work with and i want them to be very conscious of their actions particularly their patterns of behavior however what they see consciously is not what i see from an Mm -hmm. objective point of view where i stand back and go you do realize we've been here before. So for example, what I mean by that is I'll look at their patterns of behavior and then bring it up and be like, hey, I just wanted to bring this attention. Have you noticed this? And that's when it then takes them from that conscious space into a more subconscious mm-hmm. level to be like, okay, where did this come from? And let's go five layers deep. So there is that component of the journey. Now, in terms of the typical guy that you know comes to work with me, This applies to everyone, regardless of whether you're a client of mine or everyone. But I think even me, like, we all operate under a sense of, I don't want to say delusion, but under the reality that, you know, everything's fine. We're all doing well until we bump into the next challenge in our life. And in many cases, dating brings us, you know, it brings us back to so many of those original (laughs) wounds we had in childhood, which we forgot about. Thinking, yeah, it's done. It's at the back of my mind. I don't have to worry about it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, actually, no, they're there for a reason. And you need to work through them in order to actually be in a happier place. So... That's
1: a great point.
0: Yeah. Like, I've had clients before, great clients who I love to pieces who, you know, have done a lot of work on themselves. They'll be like, I think I've got like an avoidant pattern of behavior. And then when we're doing the work together and we're, a, you know, they're describing the way they feel, they're describing themselves using the language of therapy and self-help, I then have to unpack that and go, you do realize that what you've just described is not in fact accurate with what your actions are showing.
1: Mm. And that's
0: when the penny drops for a lot of them and they go, oh my God. Like that's when there's sort of like that aha moment. Yes, And on top of that too, then for the people who aren't maybe at that level, there's the people who are just starting out who will start to realize, oh my god." I never actually had my needs met by my parents. Mm. And Yeah. So for the average listener who may not understand where that connects, let's start at the surface. So you may be the kind of person who's worried about what another person thinks of you. You may be the kind of person who's worried about what your partner might be thinking and feeling and afraid to actually say, you know, on the first couple of dates, I really want this to go into a relationship. I like you. I like, you know, what this might lead. And I want to talk about more about what this might offer. Further than that, you might be messaging someone and you might be in a situation where a guy, you know, comments on something that makes you feel uncomfortable. But instead of actually voicing your discomfort, it'd be like, ha yeah, that sounds really funny. Mm-hmm. And then just wanting to play along with it. That's people pleasing. Mm-hmm. And that stems from earlier in childhood where your parents or even the environment you raised in didn't allow you to have your needs met so you put your needs dead last that's where this all comes from
1: usually just so so huge and significant to realize that and if you and to just be, become conscious of it first so to your point about you know you're working with guys who are self-aware, but we all have our blind spots. You know, I have definitely at my blind spots, you know, I'm on the dating scene after being married for a long time. And so really trying to. this happened to me recently, you know, where it was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going along with something that isn't necessarily aligned with what I need to be doing to take care of myself. And I'm, I right? am essentially people pleasing and it bit me in the ass because I had to come clean about that. And then, you know, it, it, piss the guy off. He's like, really? Well, that's not very, that's kind of disingenuous. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It Was, I wasn't paying attention enough to my needs. And then I was kind of going along with what you want. So, I mean, ultimately it was a helpful conversation, but yeah, these are really big, significant patterns. And what I think is interesting is, you know, as a couples therapist and you're a relationship coach as well. So you're not just working with people on dating, which are working with them on relationships too, is that, this stuff already comes up. You know, you don't have to be like married and in a relationship for these things to come up. So, you know, I think this is really important for guys to know that your early attachment patterns, some early childhood stuff, all that stuff is going to already be surfacing pretty early on and that's about you. So, to be able to have someone like you or a coach or a counselor to say, "Hey, this, this is what might be going on underneath the surface. Gosh, that's hugely helpful. I would imagine.
0: It is. And, but then it's, what do you do with that? You right. know? Yeah. It's one thing to know where a lot of these challenges come from, but it's another thing to actually do something about it. So what I think of it, like, it's kind of like, Computer that's running on a faulty subroutine, you want to be able to change the code. You want to, in our case, change the thought. Our thoughts control our actions. So if we're Mm -hmm. in a situation where, if we look at people pleasing, for instance, you know, and that comes from a feeling of not wanting to let others down, then it's up to the individual to be like, well, hang on, how is this thought process helping you? And if it's not, what do you want that thought to now look like and to make you feel? Because if it's not serving you, cut it out.
1: Mm. Amen to that. Yeah. And I think this is where coaching comes in really handy. You know, oftentimes we hear about the, like, people ask me, what's the difference between therapy and coaching? And not that therapy is only focused on insight and awareness, because it's not, but it does, we do hang out there a fair bit. And so I get the sense, you know, with, with your coaching, when clients come to you that you are, okay, yes, that's the awareness, but then you're going kind to right into some sort of counter action that that's kind of figuring out a new thought that would be more helpful that would lead to a change in behavior or something like that. Is that correct? You're really active with clients and if they're coming to you to date, you're going to get them taking like new actions and working with new thoughts.
0: Yeah. Because I really want to empower my clients. I don't want to give them, you know, a cheat sheet and say, Hey, you know what well, I do, but like <laughs> beyond giving the one that I, I do. Offer, right. That's only one part. Yeah. That's only a part of the puzzle. Like, you know, I could be like, Hey, that guy's bad. That guy's bad. But the problem is you're still picking them. I yes. have no influence over that unless we work together. You know, that's the challenge.
1: Yeah. Great point. So if you're listening to this and, and, feeling like you're in this pattern or you're maybe you're meeting the same guy over and over, that would be a great reason to work with a coach because it's, you just, we can't see that stuff sometimes. And of course I'm all for like getting help. So we, you know, when we get into this stuff, it is, it is really hard to see through the weeds of our own experience. So, so this is kind of that big hurdle. And you're talking about, you're looking at yourself, conscious awareness, changing kind of your thoughts and beliefs and assumptions around what you can have, the kind of partner that you can attract. I have to share this one story because I was just working with someone earlier today and we were talking about self-worth in relationships and he's a gay man at midlife, which is kind of my, that's my age range. And we were joking because I've worked with this client for a long time about his uh, low standards because the bar used to be very low. And he was like, at one point it was just like, if you had a driver's license, then we were good. You just need to have a driver's license. That was his standard, because it had gotten so, so low at a certain point because he was tolerating so much because he didn't feel like he was worth, you know, a guy that would really would love him and care about him. So these are some of the demons that show up for for people. So Tony, so anyway, I love that you're helping guys right out of the gate with with these core issues. I want to go back to this idea of role models and not having these role models are there places that guys can be trying to find healthier role models? I mean, I mean can people go online and see, Or there, are there, I mean, are we just kind of have to live with things the way they are right now?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, Buck. I think my first answer is if there's no one immediately visible, turn to people that you admire in your social circle You know, even if they're straight, it doesn't matter. Like most of, for example, I definitely learned a lot from my straight friends and also from my closest gay friends as well, the ones where I'm like, I really like the attributes of that person and I really like the way that person speaks for themselves. I love the way that individual sets good boundaries and I really like the way that person communicates. The point of all that is that you can then quickly determine what feels good and in alignment with you. So mm. ultimately, it's not just about looking for someone out there being like, oh, so-and-so is a role model. It's actually sometimes about becoming your own role model too because as Ooh. much as human beings require looking up to an individual and copying them in order to be like, oh, okay, this feels in alignment with me, sometimes we actually need to do the work on ourselves and be like, what's in alignment for us? Mm. What feels good? I know for me, Buck, for instance, I something inside of me feels like crap when I lie. So I know that honesty is a very big value of mine. I know anytime I've been radically honest and I've just said my truth and been like, I don't like this. I'm not comfortable doing that. I don't feel good with this man. My world has gotten better. Mm. Anytime I don't speak up for myself or I go, ha that's okay. Something inside of me just dies, but I wouldn't have come to that realization if I hadn't started becoming more aware of my intuition and other processes too. So I think as a starting point, I'd say to people, Look to what you like, act on it, and see if it resonates with you and makes you feel good. And then you'll be able to figure out your values. And from there, that becomes your pillars, your foundation for your own self.
1: Mm, I love that. So it's looking to other people, but then the idea is really to embody those in yourself. And I love this idea of becoming our own role models. You know, that's there's something really, really cool about that. Like, I look up to myself like I'm just thinking of like how that, that could be. I mean, it's it's maybe corny to say, but so that's really helpful. So looking to maybe any relationships that you admire in your life or people who are in relationships and the qualities that they have. There's something about seeing is believing, you know, so if you can see those people in your life or even on TV, you know, I, like Shit's Creek. I don't know if you watch if you watched Shit's Creek, but Dan and his—I don't remember what his boyfriend's name was—but they had such a sweet relationship. And I, I, you know, would sometimes watch that and feel inside like, "Ooh, that's the kind of relationship I'd like to have—supportive and compassionate and and all that." So, but again, embodying those qualities in, in yourself, I love that. So, let's get into something a little heavier, which is um, around the uh, topic of boundaries. So when it comes to dating and it comes to boundaries in dating for, for listeners who aren't familiar with uh, the language of codependency, you know, we will hear that word oftentimes, but I I know sometimes people don't know what that means. I personally think of that as boundaries and clinically, I think of it as boundaries as well. It's issues around interpersonal and emotional boundaries. So do you see this showing up as an issue with clients? boundaries and dating codependency
0: I think it affects every single one of us regardless of whether it's my clients or
1: not, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> right. um, it's just clients. It's never me. I never struggle with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm immune to all the codependency in <laughs> my life. I'm,
0: I'm addiction-free. Um, truth be told, I do have a video game addiction and I certainly have a workaholic addiction too. So there you go. That's okay. Full transparency. Okay. And I'm not using that to sort of glamorize codependency or addiction. or will be like, I'm normal. Look at me with my things. No. Everyone has a form of addiction. Yeah. I think... it I think it's a matter of how do we respect ourselves? So to that point, let's talk boundaries. My definition of boundaries are not, you stay away from me. You know, it's not something as limited as that. It's very multifaceted. It's our terms and conditions, the standards Mm -hmm. that we set to ourselves and go, you know, this is how I want to be respected and treated. One of the things that I do on every first date is I tell my partner, Hey, just to let you know, consistency is a big deal for me. If I don't get communicated consistently, it makes me feel anxious and it makes me rethink where I want to be spending my investment of energy in dating. I'd like it if I can at least hear from you once a day. Mm. And once a day for me, literally means you can just text me and say, Hey, I'm busy, but I'm really keen to chat to you tomorrow. We'll talk soon. And I'm like, good. Uh Now, I do that because it's out of respect for me and that I don't personally like feeling anxious when I'm dating. Like that's mm-hmm. just a thing for me. And if people enjoy that sense of anxiety, good for them. I happen to actually not like the extra serotonin cortisol that goes from my brain to my gut because that mm-hmm. causes all kinds of havoc. I prefer to be, you know, calm and collected. So for me, when, if that boundary kind of like a rule, You know, if it's one of my favorite examples or analogies is imagine you're running a swimming pool and one of your boundaries or rules is that people have to come in with flotation devices, but then someone comes in and is just like, nah, I'm not going to wear flotation devices. You know, that's not only going against your boundaries. It's putting you at risk because Mm -hmm. if that person were to drown, you know, it's on you. You've allowed them into your space and now they're impacting your work, health and safety. Mm. And it's the same thing that we can, you know, that person in the pool example could be substituted for so many things. It could be substituted for toxic people. It could be substituted Mm. for, you know, our relationship with food, alcohol, drugs. It can be substituted for work. It can be substituted for money. You know, it's all about being your own pool instructor, being like, Mm. what will I allow in? Mm -hmm. And if I... And if I want to allow that in, I choose to allow it.
1: Yes. I make a conscious choice to allow that. I love that. I choose because that's the, so much of what boundaries are. You know, I'm, I'm being conscious of my terms. I love that my terms and conditions. Uh, I love that. That's that I'm being conscious of them being conscious Mm. of where, you know, what, what do I need? Where do, where do I end and you begin? Where you end and I begin, you know, and, and yeah, making sure that like, yeah, no, this, this puts me at risk or, or maybe I'm putting you at risk if I'm pushing your boundaries. Mm.
0: Exactly. And to add to that too, Buck, I'd add that, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges for a lot of us is that, you know, these seem like small infractions, you know, ghosting is one of my favorite examples of this Mm.
1: too.
0: Too many of us allow ghosting. And one thing I instruct people to do, and I've mentioned this on my page and I mentioned this on my Instagram and I mention it to my clients, you know, be mindful of when someone ghosts you or has, has got behavior of ghosting because, you know, you're typically people's response is, Oh, well, if they've ghosted me, they're not worth following up. It's not worth any of that. Partially. I agree with that, mm. but If one of the things that I often teach people to do is to actually assert your boundaries in that point and say something to the effect of, hey, I really enjoyed that day. I got the impression we're going to meet up again. And since I haven't heard from you in X number of days, I feel like I've been ghosted. And the guy that I want to date would give me consistency and clarity and not this feeling that I'd been left on my own. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to back away from this it doesn't matter what that person says after that. It doesn't matter what they think of your response. It doesn't matter if they change. It's about that message because what you're doing in writing it out in a text or even verbalizing it is that it says something to your brain, which is Mm. I will not allow this thing to happen. And that's an important defense because if you keep lowering your standards, you lower your terms and conditions, you let the small, innocuous things get in, and that's how people end up in bad, abusive relationships. So it all starts from the small things.
1: Yeah, these the small actions that we would take potentially for granted, or that maybe you feel like there's nothing, oh, I shouldn't do anything about that because, well, they're not interested. But, exactly. But you're saying that the, the, as far as working on your dating self and becoming skilled at dating, uh, which is then you're skilled at relationships, is you're saying, no, do it for yourself. Do it for like, hey, this is a, a an act of empowerment to say, hey, it's not cool that we didn't talk or at least get clarity. Like, so are we not... Moving forward, I just want to be clear. I'm interested, but it seems like you're not, but is that the case or something like that?
0: Yeah. And I think to add to that and complement that too, one thing I also teach my clients, and I'm very mindful of the words that I use is drop the you. You know, mm. I think one mm. thing that triggers someone into an inflammatory response is when they go, you did this, you don't seem interested, because then it gets into gaslighting and then it mm. gets into that sort of accusation language. And it's just like... Mm. And I know it can be a bit of a Herculean feat to change the way we talk because we've been talking the same way for so long. And people would think, oh, why should I have to change the way I talk? Trust me, people respond so differently depending on the language
1: that you use. That's a great takeaway for sure. So drop the you. So speak from I. Exactly. So so if a guy is, is just to give a real practical example. So if a guy is in that situation and feels like he's been ghosted to say, or maybe it's going the other way, but like you're not necessarily interested in someone, but you don't want Mm -hmm. to ghost them just say, you know, Hey, it was great to meet you. I don't feel like we're a good match, but I wish you all the best or that's perfect. You know, if you're going to say it to somebody else, like I had a good time, I'd like to see you again. Are you interested in, you know? Yes, or even add to
0: that too, is I'd love to see you again. Mm. I would like to see you next week if you're available. You know, it's that act of empowerment, which I think is really powerful because I think when we throw the you, it kind of throws, I don't want to say it throws the ball in the other court, but it kind of puts us in a position of disempowerment, not because we ever want to have that imbalance. I'm not suggesting it's about control, I'm not suggesting it's about dominance. What I'm suggesting is it's showing that, like, you know, I'm interested, I care, and I'm invested. And if that person doesn't respect that, that's on them. It's not about you. So that's the key thing
1: to this. I love that. It's about them, it's not about you, which is something that I think we have to like drill that into our heads. You know, mm-hmm. like so much of what's going on out there on the dating scene is about other people. I know my therapist has had to say that. He was like, you know, 95% of what you're experiencing, you know, with dating is about other people, but to that idea of our self-worth or are we're really we're working on our self esteem, that'll be challenging, but it's, it's like, when you're talking about it, I could see that as a really empowering move that will build your self-worth, even though you might mm-hmm. feel like, Oh my gosh, well, what if I say I like them and they don't like me back? Well, them's the breaks, <laughs> you know, that's kind of how it goes.
0: And wouldn't you prefer to have an honest answer sooner rather than later as well? Amen. I mean, put it like this. If someone comes back to you, now this is the key thing. We don't like rejection and I fully appreciate that too. I'm not a fan of it. I got rejected the other week Mm. and that sting. But learn from the sting, you know, why does it hurt so much? You know, if we look at it under a different lens, like let's just say you've been really hurt by an injury, you might think to yourself, oh, it's a bruise, it'll heal. But what if it doesn't heal? What are the underlying things that might be contributing to that skin not healing properly? You know, now look at this back with relationships too. Someone rejects you and it really cripples you for about a week. You're not probably only dealing with the fear of rejection. There's probably something else in there too. There could be abandonment Mm. wounds. There could be low self-esteem and self-worth. There could be a bit of trauma from a previous experience with an ex. I know that was something that I went through. And... You know, it's those layers upon layers of the foundation of your building. In this case, your personality. If your personality is built on really shoddy values, grounds, that's when, when you're punctured, everything crumbles and it feels so painful. And if you are actually in a place of high self-worth and high self-esteem, you bounce back from rejection so quickly and you're just like, like the guy who rejected me a couple of weeks ago, I was a little bit sad about it for about a couple of hours And then after I had my closure spiel where I said to him, you know, actually I'm not, so basically to give a bit of clarity for this, I was told that he was going to be pursuing someone else instead of me. And it came as a bit of a shock because I wasn't prepared for that response. And I was genuinely shocked more by the turnaround and one thing I would say is that, that then to me, I was like, okay, that really rubbed against my lack of authenticity, like, or rather my value of honesty, like that didn't feel good. And so what I went back and said to him when he offered the palm of friendship, I said, I actually, added a value and respect to my mental and emotional health, am not going to continue, you know, seeing mm. you because... I don't want to put my emotional and mental well being under the stress of hoping that maybe this one day you'll turn around and recognize my self worth. So I'm going to step back, wish you all the best for you and your relationship. And that act of saying that really liberated me from a lot of the, the excess pain mm-hmm. and rejection. And it allowed me to do some deep thinking and go. Now why did that sting as much as it did and when I came up with the answer for that the lesson from the pain emerged and I'm like oh I know what it is
1: and that's the next bit of inner work that I had to resolve. Yes. That's a really helpful example because these <clears throat> these real world examples are are super helpful for me and and listeners as well. So yeah and that's mm. such a common experience. You know, well rejection of course is part of the uh, the deal. But then this also like, oh, I'm pursuing somebody else. And then it's like having this, like, why am I feeling so, so punctured by this? You may have only been dating someone for maybe a month or less. That's enough to open some like abandonment wounds or to like have like some mother stuff going on or some father stuff going on. Oh my God. It doesn't take that long. We have these really intense feelings. and And I love this idea of learning from it as opposed to getting frustrated mm. and discouraged or disillusioned or to your point, like staying in the rejection and the pain of it for too long.
0: Yeah. Cause I think the pain of rejection is almost going through the cycles of grief mm. really quickly. Cause you kind of get the, Oh, what, you know, you get the disbelief, like, how could it happen? And then you go to the stage of I'm angry. Now let me just get this out of my chest. Then comes the following three stages where you go through that sense of numbness, that sense of thinking about it, going, now where did this come mm. from? And then you come to that resolution. Mm. So ultimately, rejection and the pain of it is there to
1: inform and to educate mm. us. Oh, I love that. Rejection is there to and the pain of it is there to inform us and gonna help us grow. Yeah, this all of this conversation about dating is really driving home that dating is real. Like so often we're thinking, Oh, there's just, I've just got a date so I can get into like the real thing, which is a relationship, but no, like dating is really relational. It's a, it's a very relationship. It's, it's work. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening and you're, you know, you're, you know, I hear from a lot of dating sucks. there's that whole thing, you know, where the apps suck or all that stuff, which, yeah, I mean, it's, they're not great all the time Um, and dating and during COVID is not like wonderful. I mean, you're fortunate to live in, You know Australia, where you know you guys handled it, and we've had this conversation before. (laughs) We have the freedom to date without
0: worrying about that. The only thing we have to worry about in terms of coming out positive is
1: the STI section. Not so much, right? So it's kind of like back to like the old days, you know? (laughs) Right. Well, that brings me to my next topic of of sex. So if we ah, segue (laughs) no, because you know we have to talk about sex. So this is let's talk about sex. yeah let's talk about sex because I don't know talk about role models and not having them you know all I think all we have are ideas of heterosexual relationships and like what men and women are supposed to do with sex and like the rules the quote unquote rules of like oh you shouldn't have sex on the first date and all that stuff are what are the rules around or what are, what are your recommendations around dating for gay men and sex and. Is it hard and fast? Not to use that pun, but <laughs> any suggestions? <laughs> uh, let me start with
0: my personal thoughts and feelings yes. on this because they, they may not necessarily apply to everyone. Everyone's going to have different feelings regarding sex. But one thing I will say is that like a good drug, I know when it impacts me and I also know how it can blind. Mm. So in other words, if I like a guy, And I've had this happen before. I've had guys where I've had that fall in love at first sight moment because I'm physically attracted to them. And I just want to take them home and have a good time. And I just want to sleep with them. That's that's the animal in me. Just that's excited. And is just like, yes, I want to be with this person physically. And I think in my head emotionally like, oh, I'm sure they're great too. (laughs) However, you know, I'm getting flooded with dopamine, oxytocin. I'm in my happy place. I'm like, yay, this is amazing. (laughs) And, of course, I'm not really on the lookout for red flags. So, you know, I think kind of like driving on an empty stomach, you start to, sorry, driving and drinking on an empty stomach, meaning that you tend to become less aware of the dangers around you. And maybe to use a kinder word in the sense of dating, you become less conscious of what you're putting up with. Because when you enter the honeymoon phase and it can be initiated very quickly when you're physically attracted to someone, the problem can be that that period is supposed to last six months to two years. So when you're excited, you've got all those emotions, you become addicted to that Mm. person. You become super excited to that person. So it takes a great deal to actually devalue the individual in your head to bring you out of that space. Like you would have to, and I tell my clients who are in, like, who are being strung along, start writing out all the areas of which your partner is currently causing you to feel like you're being inconvenienced if they are hurting you and you're addicted, because that's the way to change the brain into being like, oh, they, don't, they can come down from the pedestal now. Mm-hmm. They're not that great. They're just a regular human being. Because by the act of having sex and even getting excited by someone on the first date, the danger there is that we put them on a pedestal unintentionally we become addicted and if they're the wrong person, we can then go through the most catastrophic heartbreak because you're, you're essentially going from cloud nine to the bottom of the Mariana trenches. And it's just such emotional. Mm -hmm. burnout. So that's why I personally like to get to know my partner a little bit better over a month and then start to introduce sex to just enjoy myself and have fun. Without trying to necessarily jump straight into it and hit the sheets, because I know for me, I tend to ignore important things and my gut becomes, quite honestly, I don't listen to my gut as much when I'm, you know, up there in that space. So that's one part of sex. And I'm assuming you want me to talk now about more of the gay related, <laughs> our communities related stuff about topping and bottoming as
1: well. Well, I mean, there is that, there is that. Uh, but this idea that it's already like a, this heightened emotional experience just to be dating someone and be into them. But then you're saying, you know, when you layer and sex, it just takes like that cocktail to a whole other level. And... And really, it's it's really important this idea that like you don't we don't listen to our intuition as much we don't we're not as aware or we don't want to be as aware because it of course it like feels good and we know as gay men that that's it's easy to make it so casual to make it to where I like it but it feels good and I can do it without feeling like I need to be in love with this person and all that. But when you're talking about dating and you're really serious about getting to know someone, it does seem like it would be valuable to try to take it a little slower as a protection to your, to your own system.
0: Yeah. And you said something really emphatically just a second ago, which I love when you're like, you know, we do this because it feels good. I think most people would use that kind of expression when they're mm. high. And why do we do that? Because we don't feel good on a regular mm. basis. I think part of the problem with dating is that a lot of people, when they're not feeling good, you know, use it as a way of helping them elevate themselves to a place where they feel better. And of course, we all want dating and relationships to elevate us. I think the consequence is that we're running on empty, or we're running on half our tank, then we're not in a great place to be dating in relationships because we're bumping into more of the same they don't know what they want. we really don't know mm. what we want. We think we know what we want, we don't. and so we become a bit of a hot mess at the wheels without really thinking about our own destination. Mm.
1: That is really important, yeah, and becoming a hot mess, yeah, and not knowing what you want. yeah, that's look I had an experience with that recently as well where I felt like am are you are you looking to me? it was a dating situation. I felt like he was looking to me to make him feel like I was the bright spot. Dating me was the bright spot, Ooh. you know? And it was like, I don't know that that's feels so good. I mean, we oh. want dating to be a, a bright spot, but not, not the bright spot. So, you know, I think to
0: put that in an analogy, Buck, it would be like, you want to be your own Christmas tree. There's the the mm, light that goes on the
1: top. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. You yeah, already have the tree. You're just the, exactly. You're the, to, you're the topper. <laughs> exactly.
0: You were fine without the star on the top. That's just there.
1: Right. Right. I like that. Um, for sake of time, I'm going to skip the top and bottom conversation, even though I would love to have that um, in your, I know you talk a lot about authenticity when it comes to being a foundation for relationships and, and healthy dating. Can you say more about what you mean by, you know, authenticity for gay men?
0: Yeah, it really means being able to express what you want and feel right Mm -hmm. now. And I think to take that at a deeper level, it's really about, it's not about, oh, I'm gay. Like that's that's like saying I have a right arm, like Mm -hmm. well done. Um, Now, I don't want to invalidate anyone who's had to go through, you know, coming out. Like that's a hard process in and of itself. The authenticity part is learning to love that Mm -hmm. part of it, you know, is learning to accept who you are, and what you really need. Mm. And so in dating and relationships, one of my key things is just that, like I said, I like consistency. I don't want to feel anxious. I, you know, I value, I value my space. I value my independence, but I also love interdependence. Mm. I love being able to have quality time. I love being able to value, you know, touch, I, you know, it's coming to understand my values, you know, resilience, self-growth, freedom, pursuit of happiness, and radical honesty. Like these things for me are the framework of who I am. So dating authentically for me is showing up as I am. It's not about going, for example, a great way to know if you're dating inauthentically is when you want to try and impress them. Oh. We all we treat dating sometimes a little bit like job interviewing and like, oh, just go out and show off. And, you know, we want to throw our toys. We want to, you know, impress the other people too. I've had guys buy me gifts before. I have been so put mm. off by that, that action just because I feel like this is so disingenuous. This is so forced. And I know for some people who love gift giving, it's fantastic. This was on date three. Ugh. I don't want gifts that early on. It's like, think about it like this. I'm a stranger. You don't know me. You know, I think we're so, I think that's the problem is that when that sort of action starts taking place, what the person's really saying is I'm lonely. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm in need of someone to, you know, give me that emotional support, Mm. validation. And it's just like,
1: work on yourself, mate, like work on you. Yes. And it's almost like in that situation, I would imagine it's kind of like, it's more about him than you. I mean, what you're saying, yeah. He's lonely, and you know. But it's like I want to give you this gift because I want to give. You know, I want a man in my life, and I want to be able to give him gifts. And you're like, well, I don't want a gift from you. Three dates in, you know. Aside from your just being present, (laughs) being you know engaged, Mm. that's a gift. Um, Yeah, this idea of authenticity being aligned aligned with your values, being able to what did you say? Um, There's coming out, obviously. That's you know, takes courage and resilience. But then this authenticity is when we really cleanse ourselves of, you know, that the shame or whatever it might be to be able to accept and love who we are.
0: Yeah. And Buck, I want to add one last thing to punctuate that Mm. too, is I think it's also important that we don't lose ourselves to the stranger who we've fallen in love with. Meaning we're not already, you know, it's an expression which is called self-abandonment, which is the idea that, We lose the focus from ourselves and put it onto another person because they become the center of our world. And so we can do little things in dating that can really imbalance us very quickly, messaging, morning, lunch, and dinner, you know, coming into the situation where you want to show off and take someone around and show them your friends. I mean, introducing your your partner to your friends is one thing, But if the back of your mind is saying, I'm so worried I'm about to lose this person, game Mm -hmm. over. You've already lost yourself because you have now put them in a position where they are your world. If they reject you, you're gone. And that is self-abandonment.
1: Such a great point. So really a way that guys can assess that maybe, like, am I self-abandoning in this you know early dating situation it's like is it would be like if i'm focusing on them so much or if i'm all i'm thinking about is them Mm. which to some extent to your you know comment about the honeymoon phase some of that's normal you know but
0: yeah some of it is right so it
1: can be tricky but you're saying there's something else going on when you're you're really abandoning yourself. You're really losing yourself. So I'm just, That's a, those are big topics. So I don't know if there's something guys can look out for, but I tell you the one thing to look out for would be
0: that if you start to feel like you're obsessing about the person, like you start to have that sensation, it's one thing to fall in love with a person or the honeymoon phase, as we put it, like to have that obsession period, like to a degree, that's fine. However, It's the balance that's really important because when they're always on your mind, it'll impact your actions and cause that deeper imbalance between the two of you. So practical advice, I would say to people and including my clients, okay, now it's time to focus back on you. They're not going to go. And if they do, that's on them. It's not about you. But in the meantime, you have to go into that uncomfortable place of working on yourself. And that means, you know, Do the thing that most lights Mm. you off. Do the thing in your personal journey. Like for me, it's my work. Like the minute I start absorbing into that because I love my work, I'm like, oh my God, because it's personal development for me. I love it. And, but if a guy doesn't have that, like we don't have that outlet to actually take our mind off that and to focus on ourselves, we just leak all that energy into our actions, which then go overboard. And then before we know it, we're getting into hot and cold
1: game playing and it just gets Mm. shit. And that happens all the time, all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, and I I really think that's so important what you said about it's uncomfortable maybe to sort of get back into yourself, you know, even though, you know, because I think we literally forget that and we're like, oh, I'll only feel good when I'm hanging out with this person or whatever it might be. But that is really, it's a practice that you have to, you've got to force yourself, go force yourself to go hang hang out with your friends sometimes. And I would add, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're getting into that, like really early like within the first few weeks that's it's one thing to be in a honeymoon phase once you're like in love you know and there's like there's an it (laughs) to be in love with there's an actual Mm. relationship but if it's happening within just a couple of weeks that's usually a pretty good indicator that you're you're already moving away from yourself
0: yeah that's what I've seen in my own
1: practice and in my own life experience Oh,
0: <laughs> Unless you are given the healthiest upbringing with, you know, you overcame your trauma and you also have been, you know, self-loving ever since. What do you do? You know, good you? I don't
1: know those people. So
0: I just, who are they? <laughs> I mean, isn't that why we're here? Right, right. From? Exactly. Um, but I think the other thing too, that I would really strongly recommend people to get away from is the word selfish. And also, you know, egotistical. Mm. Because I think that screws us up because we think, oh, well, if I do this, I'm being selfish. It's like, no, you're doing it for you because you actually value, you know, this is the thing I remind people. It's like, you are your most valuable Mm. person. Our best insurance policy, if want of a better term, is actually ourselves, because it never Mm. goes
1: away. Yeah, which is I think is a great place for us to to wrap because this is this has like been a like a like tough self-love dating. Academy, which is your Facebook group, the Gay Dating Academy. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, that's not, don't use that. (laughs) Don't use that. That's terrible. (laughs) But it's like, but you are like what I, what I've got so much from this conversation is with you and is that it really is as much as dating is about being in relationship with other people. It is so much about it's learning to love yourself, you know? Yes. It's like, and it's a great way to love yourself. I mean, the way you're talking about it, it's like you're learning, of course, to love another person, you know, but it's a wonderful pathway to self-love.
0: Absolutely. Mm. You will, I think the thing is too, Buck, which it can be a bit of a lonely road, but it's not lonely bad. Lonely bad is, you know, oh, I don't have an emotional connection with someone. Like it's that kind of feeling of, I can't, you know, talk to someone about how I feel. I can't be vulnerable with anyone. I've got four close friends who I can talk to about anything. They're like my personal Mm -hmm. therapists. I can talk to myself in my journal. I'm okay. I live on my own. I'm fine. I love my loneliness. But coming back to this idea of, you know, it's a lonely road. I don't mean that in a negative. I mean that in that, I think for a lot of us, our rejection rate is going to skyrocket because we start clearing away from the masses of people who haven't done the work on themselves and they haven't got that work done. People might question at this point, well, what's the point? Why are we making it so hard to fall in love? Do you want to get it right mm-hmm. or do you want to get it wrong? Because the cost of getting it wrong is so damn high. And it's, the, it's kind of like the high road versus the low road. It's going to be harder and lonelier. Versus the low road where you can get into a relationship, you can bend yourself Mm. backwards and be with anyone, but the health risks, which would not a lot of people talk about. And I talk about all the time are scary. You know, your gut will start doing Mm -hmm. crazy things to you. You'll stress emotional problems. Yeah. It's just like the biggest thing you're losing out on then is
1: your health and Mm. your time and you don't get back your time. So, yeah. So that's such a great take home point of It's It's an investment. You really, do you really have to invest yes. in doing this? It's like high quality, high investment dating. And, you know, just, just like, like eating. eating, right. You know, you mm-hmm. can do it well, you can do it mindfully. And um, I think maybe a lot of us aren't doing it mindfully. Um, maybe we aren't taking the low road and then no wonder we feel frustrated and discouraged. So it takes some effort. It takes that to, yeah, the to, do, right, to go the high work. Right. So, um, but that effort mm. pays off. And it's worth, it's
0: worth it. Yeah. Cause if you're surrounded by company who you love and adore and you can connect with at any time, most of all yourself, I mean, you are in the perfect place. I mean, as they, as we always say in the dating and relationship industry, the cost of being single is far better than the cost of being miserable Oof. in a bad relationship.
1: Yeah. That's amen. Yeah. I'm sure lots of listeners, lots of you out there can relate to that. Well, Ken, this has been super enlightening and packed with all sorts of good information, helpful information. So guys out there, again, uh, we have been talking to Ken Reed. He is a relationship coach for gay men. You can find him at KenReedRelationshipCoach.com. He's got a Facebook group that uh, is called the Gay Dating Academy. So Ken, thank you. Uh, We are always looking for help in our... Our dating world just like just like our heterosexual brothers and sisters but it's so helpful for us to be helping each other so um so thank you for helping your clients and helping listeners and coming on gay men's life lab we hope you will come back and see us again
0: i love this buck thank you very much for this opportunity it was a lot of fun i love chatting with you always and yes i hope this
1: is valuable for your listeners absolutely it will be bye ken thanks see you Buck. thanks for tuning in to gay men's life lab if you liked what you heard, I'd love for you to head over to iTunes and subscribe. While you're there, please consider giving the show a quick rating and maybe share an episode with your friends, loved ones, and colleagues. And if you want more information, visit buckdotson.com, find me on Instagram and Facebook at at Buck Coaching, and on my YouTube channel, Buck Dotson Coaching and Counseling. And remember that personal growth and creating the life, relationships, and work you want as a gay man is a process. So take one step at a time, rest when you need it show yourself compassion and ask for help along the way thanks and i'll see you next time